0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to c Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, um, we're in the middle of our Supernatural series, and I, I want to kind of keep on. I, I, I don't know what, you know, it's kind of one of those things. I don't know what you expected when we announced Supernatural. Um, I, I'm, pro- I'm sure probably all of us had uh, different expectations. And so, you know, two weeks ago, when we started off the series, I talked about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, kind of the basis of so- how some people believe that, you know, Supernatural's ended and it's not happening. Others are like, hey, It's great. Uh, believe in it. Just doesn't happen in my world. But kind of want to walk us all to the place where we're going. Hey, you know, God wants to do something in your world now, today, and God wants to do the supernatural, miraculous in your world yeah. now. And we just yeah. want to lift our belief level. I love that that yeah. that yeah. Uh, bit of uh, free declaration in worship today that we burn our unbelief. Uh, that was pretty cool. I like that. And uh, then last week we just—it's uh, not like we took a detour, but we went, hey. You know, if we want the supernatural in our life, God always works in in conjunction and partners with people when he does miracles. And sometimes our biggest responsibility is to die. Um, That we ourselves are, you know, uh, how how easy it is for us to become kind of the focus of our actions. And we end up feeling like, hey, this is, you know, isn't this great? God used me God wants to do this through me. Um, God can use a donkey, so don't get anything in your head, all right, you know. Um, you know, are you greater than a donkey? I don't know. I'm not, you know, there's nothing there. You know, you interpret that how you want. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, God will use who he wants and partner with who he wants, but he wants to partner with somebody. Yeah. And personally, I'd like to be in line to partner with God. How about you? Yeah. Right, like I'd like to be in line to partner with God and see what God's happening. And so we're gonna, we're gonna keep on in that, uh, in that vein today. Just, uh, but a, a whole different side of it. I read in Castanet this week. I don't know if any of you read Castanet. It's kind of my only local news source. But uh, BC Hydro did a poll uh, not that long ago about belief in ghosts. I'm not sure why BC Hydro was doing a poll about believing in ghosts. Um, You know, maybe people were talking about, you know, weird noises in their house, and BC Hydro wanted to get off the hook. You know, I don't know. But uh, they they reported the results of the poll, and basically the results of the poll that in British Columbia, get this, uh, nearly half of the population believes in ghosts. Crazy, huh? Uh, nearly half of the population believe in ghosts. In fact, uh, just looking at the notes here, they said, uh, in fact, uh, one third of those people who responded said they had had a, a personal encounter with a spirit or a, a ghost of some sort. Okay, I had a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That counts, does that? Come on. And uh, uh, God wants to do something. uh, Those servants half said they'd witnessed something supernatural, and over a third said they believed the being was trying to tell them something. You know, um, sometimes people get it right and they don't know it. Come on, there is a Holy Spirit, and there's a Holy Spirit wanting to talk to us, and there's a Holy Spirit that wants to reveal Jesus to us today. And, uh, and, and, And sometimes in the church we forget it. But the world around us is very aware of it. We live in a world that's very spiritually oriented. Despite the fact that they may say they're non-religious, they're still spiritually oriented because we were designed to be spiritually oriented creatures. We were designed to relate in the spiritual. We're incomplete if we don't. But how do we see that supernaturalness working in our life and what can we do? You know, we talked about dying. We talked about our belief. But what can we do? And what's kind of the basis of all that? I want to suggest to you today, and we're going we're gonna to go right to the Old Testament, because the Old Testament's always so much fun. Amen. Those of you that have been in church a while, you know I'm laughing a little bit about it, because the Old Testament is, is full of a lot of things that we're so glad got redeemed in the New Testament, in the, in the second half of the book. And uh, so, in but in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen and fifteen. Some of you know it right off by heart when I start quoting it. But uh, it, the context is the king of Israel during that time, Solomon, has just finished building this temple that would be a place where God would come, where everybody around the whole world would know that this was a place where God showed up. And that, that's where God would come, and, and, and you could come there, and you could bring your worship, and you could come, and you could bring your sacrifices, and you could come, and you could meet God in that place. And on the night that they, de- or the day that they dedicated this temple, so this is, we're setting this aside for God, we're dedicating, we're making it sacred for God. When they did that, Solomon prayed a prayer. And in response to that, God spoke to him in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. This is God's response to this place where God would come and he would dwell. This is this place where, interestingly enough, in the New Testament it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you take this. Temple in the Old Testament, say, okay, now into this New Testament, this new covenant we live in, God's saying to us, you're the temple. And in this temple, in this place, here's what he says He says, If my people who are called by my name, it's interesting, we're called Christians, called by his name, Christians, and if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I will restore their land. We rephrase that to say, I will hear them and I will do something miraculous. Would that be fair to say that? I'm going to restore their land. I'm going to do something miraculous in their world, in their lives. If they, prerequisite, do these things, I will do this. Verse 15 says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. In the context in this particular context uh, one thing's really interesting for those of you that are, you know, a little bit on the biblical scholar side is that the Israelites were not the only people in the ancient world that prayed. Every tribe, every nation, every city had their own god that they prayed to. But it's interesting if you go back and you study some of that, one thing you'll discover is that this particular phrase, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place, is very unique. Because in the ancient world, in in this time, although everybody had their own little personal God, those gods, they talked to them, but those gods never talked back. They were deaf and dumb. You prayed to a God, but you had no expectation that that God would ever respond to you. And so here in this temple, this place where God would live, God makes this incredible promise. that he says, if my people will seek me, he said, not only will I hear them, but I'll answer them. I'll respond to them. This whole new thing that God wants to put. He says, we don't serve a God that doesn't listen. You know, we we still fight that in our world today. There's a thinking, yeah, I, you know, I'm spiritual. You know, I commune with nature. I talk to nature and it, talk, it talks to me. Oh, there we go. We're, we're getting the emphasis again. Uh, it talks to me. Well, I don't know if it talks to me or not. We, we, have this, we have this sense that God is impersonal in our world. People that believe in God, although many, many people believe in God, they don't believe that he's personally interested in them nor that he will have a conversation with them or that we can have a communication with them hear what here in 2nd chronicles god is saying to us that not only will he hear us but he'll respond to us we'll have a conversation yeah, yeah. As we've talked in the last couple of weeks, talking about following Jesus, dying to our, you know, dying and, and really following Jesus with our whole heart, I, I want to just clarify this right at the outset. In order to follow Jesus, prayer is foundational to the relationship. In the, in the New Testament, there's a group of people that lived right around Jesus' day. They were very, very religious, but they were also very righteous. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they knew what everybody else was supposed to do. They were called the Pharisees. How many of you have heard of the Pharisees? Give me a hand so I know. Come on. Online. There you go. Uh, You didn't see that hand online. Put it up again. There we go. And, uh, 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 and, And the Pharisees, they were very, very religious. In fact, if you go back to the history of the Pharisees, one thing you'll understand about the Pharisees, they were actually the protectors of what it was to be Jewish. All the other nations around them had kind of become assimilated into Greek culture, assimilated into Roman culture. But the Jews remained very distinct, and a lot of that was because of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had stood fast in the onslaught of the culture against them, and and at the end of the day, they went, this is what it means to be Jewish. This is what it means to serve God. This is how you need to behave. They spoke very specifically. They were very... Um, they, 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 they were very specific in their requirements Jesus talked about them at one point And he says you, you tithe every little herb in your garden Herb in your garden for those of you that are bilingual And, and uh, uh, every little piece in your garden You tithe that and yet you neglect the ma- bigger things But you, you're very specific about laws and regulations If you wanted to be a Pharisee It was actually fairly simple You just did what you were told it wasn't all that complicated. You didn't actually have to make a lot of decisions for yourself. Here's the list of the rules. Here's the thing you do. Here's how you behave. This is the how long you grow your beard. I'm, I don't meet the requirements. Uh, this is how long you wear your hair. This is the type of robe you This is how many times you pray. This is all these things that were very specified, very specific. Jesus came into the world in a completely different way. Jesus talked his people, his disciples, his followers with a completely different language. What's one thing that Jesus was known for as he taught something we call parables? Stories. You know, the thing about stories is stories are not very specific in their interpretation. In fact, most of the time when Jesus would tell a story, the whole crowd would hear the story, and they'd go like, I don't know what he's getting at. I'm not quite sure what Jesus is trying to say. And he'd come back, and his disciples would ask him the question, say, Master, what did you mean? Teacher, tell us what, what that meant. Because the story involved engagement. You couldn't just accept a story. You had to engage with the story. Jesus used stories. He also used metaphors. He talked about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Well, we know the kingdom of God is not a mustard seed because that would mean you have to like mustard in order to be in the kingdom. It's not a mustard seed, it's, it's, it, but that's a, a metaphor. But in order to understand a metaphor, you have to engage with the metaphor. You have to engage with the person sharing the metaphor. See, it would be easy to be a Pharisee. You didn't have to have a relationship or a conversation. You just needed a rule book. But Jesus comes along with this whole different concept and this whole different idea that, in fact, he tells these stories that require us to say, could you tell me a little bit more? Could you explain that a little bit Could you help me understand how that means I should now live? Could you help me to discover the truth in it? And here's the thing. Jesus has not stopped talking that way to us. You can't, here let me put it clearly, you can't follow Jesus without prayer. You can be a Pharisee without praying. But you can't follow Jesus without prayer praying. Because in order to understand, in order to be able to walk forward, you have to have a conversation, a relationship that moves forward in where God wants us to go. Because it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. Carrie Newhoff, who's a Canadian pastor and blogger and leadership consultant, he, he says this about prayer. He says, prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. If we can understand prayer as a conversation with God, then we begin to set ourselves up to a place where we can have an ongoing relationship that allows the miraculous to flow from God through us into our world. As long as we just follow the book we don't need the relationship and as a result there's no need for the power to flow because we've got it all in the book. Are you with me? Making a little bit of sense? The disciples came to Jesus one day in in Matthew chapter 6 and they said to Jesus they said, look, can you just teach us how to pray? And you know, kind of the irony of this passage, this Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6 is, is really most of it was already being prayed by Jews of the day. It wasn't an actual brand new thing. He, the, the themes were exactly the same as the Jews would pray on a regular basis. He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, the sacredness of God's name. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Do you sense as you read that there's a a conversation going on? You know, the one thing I notice, first of all, when I look at the Lord's prayer is it's not my father. My father my Father in heaven. It's our Father. There's a community aspect to this prayer that starts off, that just says to us, there's something that we can't do this unless we're doing this relationally. Prayer is based in a relational context. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, after Jesus had died been crucified the disciples continued to meet together it tells us that there was approximately 120 that were gathering together but what were they doing it says in acts chapter 1 verse 14 they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with mary the mother of jesus several other women and the brothers of jesus they were meeting together constantly united in prayer I don't think it's any coincidence that just a few verses later we discover Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Here they were meeting together, still meeting together, still gathering together, likely still doing the same thing, gathered together in unity. In unity they were praying together 50 days, less than two months after Jesus had died. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4, we know this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in spirits? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Here's what I want to persuade you of and contend today. Is that the day of Pentecost came because of a promise. The miraculous showed up in the church. Not just because Jesus promised it. But because the church prayed for it. Because the church, the early church, the disciples, the apostles, they gathered together and they said, God, you gave us a promise, let it be. God, you gave us a promise, we're asking you to fulfill the promise. Jesus said to them, wait in Jerusalem, stay where you are until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they did. But they didn't just stay, they prayed. 1904 to 190, you know, the early part of last century, there was a two years long where in Wales what occurred was something called the Welsh Revival. Some of you are old like me you've heard of it. The Welsh Revival two years where God did some miraculous things and people came to, uh, into relationship with Jesus. People that were good people came into relationship with Jesus over a two year period of time. One of the key Figures in that particular revival was a man by the name of Evan Roberts. It said of Evan Roberts that Evan Roberts prayed every day for 13 years before that revival started. Wow. An observer, this is a, a quote from an observer of the Uh, of the Welsh revival. He said, If it be asked why the fire of God fell on Wales, the answer is simple. Fire falls where it's likely to catch and spread. As one has said, Wales provided the necessary tinder. Here were thousands of believers, unknown to each other, in small towns and villages and great cities, crying to God day after day for the fire of God to fall. This was not merely a little talk with Jesus, but daily agonizing intercession. What's going on here? Here. A year after this in Los Angeles in a little street mission on a little street called Azusa, yeah. a preacher by the name of William Seymour, William J. Seymour, a black preacher. He'd been seeking God for a long time. And in fact, up to when this revival began to happen, it said of William Seymour that he'd been praying seven hours a day up until revival happened and God began to show up miraculously. All sorts of miracles happened during that. In this case, almost nine years of continuous revival. And when I say the term revival, I'm just saying God kept showing up. People kept knowing God was there. People kept feeling God was there. People kept seeing the results of what God was doing in their life. The miraculous heaven had touched earth. If I can impress one thing upon us today is that we can talk all we want about the miraculous. And we can imagine and we can believe all we want for God to do something in our world. But the reality is, is that God responds to our prayers, not our casual interests. We live in a society, we live in a world where our attention span keeps getting shorter and shorter. And yet God's expectations don't change. Of God it says, Scripture says, he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with your whole heart reason we've kind of walked through these things on the way to to where we are today, talking about supernatural in the last couple of weeks is because supernatural is not just this little whipped cream we put on top of our life. And we can say all we want, where's the supernatural in the world? Where's God showing up? God's saying, where are you showing up? We can, we can say all we want. Boy, I don't, I don't see miracles in my life. And God can say, I don't see you praying much. I, I'm not trying to be judgmental, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that. Don't, don't hear harshness in this. Okay, please don't hear harshness in this. This is, this is not me saying, hey, I, I pray so much and you guys don't pray. What's the matter with you? It's not that. Because I don't pray so much. Because it's a wrestle to do that. But so is every good relationship. If I want the benefits of the relationship, the supernatural power of God working in my life, I have to work on the relationship. I have to spend time asking God. I have to spend time conversing with God. I have to spend time getting in alignment with God. And when I do that, not just casual. You know, I, I know for every one of us praying, well, I shouldn't say that I know, but I know for me, for years and years, prayer has been a difficult thing to get into a habit of. Probably if I pulled the room, we'd probably all be in this similar situation. And my challenge today to each of us is start somewhere remember a few years ago, a friend of mine, he said, he said, even if it's only your three minutes in the shower, start there. The three minutes you're in the shower, spend a little time praying and asking God to show himself to you. As you discover more of the relationship, you want more of the relationship. When we started singing one song this morning, and make, I'll make room for you. I felt pretty convicted actually I have a busy life you have a busy life even if you're retired I understand that when you retire you get even busier so I'm not going to retire till I die I don't want to get busier I'm kidding but I, I, we, we, we do have busy lives But the thing that's most important to us is always the thing we make room for. This morning I was reading my devotional, and I just started a new devotional plan this morning. I have one that I do all year long, and then I add these extra ones in throughout the year. And, um, this one's called "The uh, Rock, the Rabbi," or sorry, "The The Rock, the Road, and the Rabbi," and it's written by Kathy Lee Gifford. Some of you may know uh, the name Kathy Lee Gifford. She's been a television personality for a lot of years. I didn't even know she was a Christian. But as I read the introduction to it, she said, God spoke to me as I started into this talk show and into this, that he wanted me to seek first his kingdom. There's a promise in Matthew. In fact, it's right around where we find the Lord's Prayer, but the promise is this. It says, if you'll Seek first my kingdom. It's my kingdom first. Okay, remember that's not a set of rules, regulations. It's not the pharisaical way of looking at things. It's the relational way. If you seek the relational kingdom with Jesus, then everything else will take care of itself. What does that mean? That means that your finances will take care of themselves. You still have to manage them. Would there always be enough. Even the widow with the oil, she had to fill the oil jars. If she hadn't filled the oil jars, she still would have had nothing. Despite God's miracle working with her. It means that my relationships will be added. The healings I need will be there. The words I need to speak to the world around me will be on the tip of my tongue because I've set, sought first the kingdom of God. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.